and welcome to the Pot Shop Podcast, an Arsenal podcast for nerds. I'm Alex Towles. Is this where I come in? Yes, it is. And I'm Alex Collins. There we are. I'm going to leave that in, I've decided. Yeah, I'm leaving that in. Uh, we are out of practice. We've been out for a week, but we're back with a bang because it's the North London Derby. So, of course, you know what that means. We had to go onto Twitter and find the most tolerable Spurs fan to drag onto the podcast. The least tolerable Spurs fan, but that's what we chose. The, the least tolerable <laughs> Spurs fan. We, we found a Spurs fan who is varying levels of tolerableness. It's uh, Reese Jenkins. Hello. Hello. How are you guys? <laughs> Uh, pretty, pretty good. Not too bad. Uh, I've gone two different ways there. Take that as you will. Uh, how are you doing, Alex? I'm I'm not too bad, so I'll take that side. You can be pretty good. Um, and yourself, Reese? How's life going? Yeah, not not bad. I'm pretty buzzing after Scotland last night. So, um, so yeah, I just, just recorded our podcast earlier today. And you got the top of your group, right? Yeah, so we, 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 we just had to get a draw away to Ukraine to, to secure the... The league, the league A promotion, so we're promoted. So we're going up, and England are going down. So yeah, what could be better? <laughs> now, now, Reese, as just mentioned, has a podcast all about the Scottish national team uh, with a name that I'm not going to try and pronounce in my horrifically southern accent because it will sound it will sound horrible. So I'm going to let Reese say what his podcast is called. Sure. So um, the podcast is Pure Football, and um, we do mostly content about the Scottish national team, but we are expanding out so um me and danny danny corcoran who you might know on twitter as a uh, calcio danny um we are going to start be starting a champions league kind of themed podcast where we preview upcoming game weeks of the champions league and um lucky for you guys we might um dip into the the little europa league as well um when it gets interesting <laughs> so so yeah that's, that's nice, to nice, nice to know you're thinking of us <laughs> of course yeah I'm, all, I'm always thinking of you guys we, we know you tweet about us a lot <laughs> oh, <beautiful. laughs> We're getting personal already. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, today we're talking about the North London derby. We are going to preview the game, uh, get in depth in uh, how Arsenal have done in the past against Big Six sides and Spurs specifically under Arteta, as well as looking at how Conte's Spurs are playing right now uh, and seeing where we might be able to get at them. Uh, And then we're going to end off the show with some of your questions, because we asked for your questions on Twitter, and boy oh boy, did you send us questions, Uh, so we're going to answer some of those at the end of the pod. Uh, Let's get right into it. So, Reese, listeners to this podcast may be completely ignoring Spurs because we're Arsenal fans uh, and don't want to acknowledge their existence. Uh, But unfortunately, we do have to acknowledge their existence this week, so what can you tell us about Conte Spurs and how they play. I think it does vary a lot this season. It's varied a lot this season, um, depending on the kind of quality of opposition. I think a game I would kind of highlight where we've kind of imposed ourselves more would be the Fulham game, where we played arguably some of our best football, um, generating nearly three expected goals in that game. And um, we, yeah, we, we in that game we were we were doing more on the ball um, in terms of uh, sort of sustaining possession in the opposition half. Um the, the the kind of main point of our possession is the automatisms that Conte implements and basically the the entire objective of, of this is that we will try and play it from the back very slowly, playing out to the centre backs, um which will most likely be Romero Dyer and uh Clemmer Longley at the weekend. So we will often play out to them basically baiting the opposition into the into the high press. 
uh, with the the basically the main objective of that is to create space uh, in the middle and final thirds for for our attacking talent to to utilize and kind of attack attack that space. So um, we'll talk a little bit about how to kind of counter that with talking about Thomas Tuchel and um, where he exploited that and basically nullified our build up approach. Uh, we'll talk about that a bit later, but. Moving on to the kind of um, well, actually, before we move on to that possession, we'll talk a bit about um, how we progress the ball forwards. And I think a big uh, feature of this season and last season was our reliance on uh, Dejan Kulisevsky. Basically, he is our main source of um, progression and kind of one v one ability uh, to kind of create space in the in the in attacking areas. We've seen a lot of Richarlison on the right this season so far, and there's no slight in Richarlison. That's something that. I hope I don't see the weekend because I think we'll really need Kulsevsky to carry the ball out for us and um, get us into those dangerous positions if we want to impose ourselves at all on um, on the game against Arsenal. So, yeah, that that's kind of the in-possession stuff mainly. Um, in terms of out-of-possession, I would say that we tend to defend in a mid-block kind of setup. Um, we'll let we'll often let the opposition play out um, to the, in the kind of the fr- kind of first phase, um, but when it kind of gets to our sort of kind of playing through into our midfield, that's when the kind of intensity steps up. But we have found quite often this season that we have struggled and we've slipped into a lower block. We saw it against Chelsea, um, even games against like Forest where we actually ran out winners, but a lot of the game we didn't look all that convincing. So yeah, I think I wouldn't be expecting us to come out and press Arsenal uh, from the front all, all that much, especially being away from home. Um, do you think that, does that line up with what you would be expecting? So yeah, um, obviously I went and did my due diligence for this thing, and one of the matches I actually watched was the Fulham one. Um, and yeah, I mean, I know you guys did pretty well in the end in terms of getting shots off, but it did kind of strike me how you guys had like, there was a kind of a disconnect between the front three, including Kane and that, um, and the rest of the team without Kulisevsky there. Because in the games I've kind of watched, right, like Kulisevsky coming deep is kind of like what you're very, very much relied on, reliant on. Um, in the end, you still got a lot of shots off. A lot of them actually from that game came from set-piece stuff with Son getting the ball out and doing those like crosses in, flick-ons. I think that's something that is going to challenge us for sure. Um, but yeah, just going back to that like front three, uh, I agree with you. If I, from a Spurs position, I would definitely start Kulisevsky, even just to have a little bit more of that control and be able to like link, just provide that link, right? Um, but I actually want to ask, because this isn't something that I thought you guys struggled with last season being able to link to that front three. Um, and I think it's something that we have even seen when Kulusevski plays um, to a lesser extent for sure. So what is kind of the difference do you think in possession? Um, like why are you guys a little bit worse? I still think you guys are really good kind of getting into the opposition half, but once you get there, things seem to break down a little bit more and rely a lot on Kane like pulling the strings. Um, why do you think it is that like you need Kulisevsky as well as Kane to even kind of link that. Because, you know, I think the general sort of like way people view that front three is that Kane is actually the guy who links a lot. And that's why you can maybe play Rikarlison as part of that front three. But from what I've watched, I'm not very convinced by that front three. And I really see Rikarlison as someone who is like, he's a son in terms of profile. Or maybe someone who can be like an alternative to Kane at centre forward. But I would always want to have Kulisevsky in that team. Yeah, no, I I pretty much agree with you. Um, Kulusevski is absolutely key to it. He is, as you said, you took the words out of my mouth. He's the link between the midfield and the and the attack, basically. And we're not only relying on him and linking that. We're also relying on him um, because of the. I've I've often come to defense of Emerson Royale to some extent because I think that he's been kind of broke, like kind of 
profiled as a basically a sh- like a shit footballer, which I think <laughs> is, is harsh. He just doesn't really have the the the, the technical qual the technical qualities and and like the awareness to to like progress the ball in the way that we need. So when we have Kulusevski there, he often dro- drifts wide and picks the ball up and carries us forward. But when we have Richarlison there, he is essentially playing as like a third forward, which isn't really what Kulusevski is. He is much more. He, he operates in the central areas much more, um, basically trying to get on the end of things, which he's good at. But it means that we we lose a large part of 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 the link in our team. Um, I think in the kind of tight Champions League games that he was playing there, um, I think Conte essentially looked at it and thought we've got Perisic's delivery from the left hand side. We've got, and then we've got Richarlison who is an absolutely like he's a brilliant uh, threat in the air, which is something I, I hadn't actually fully appreciated until watching him more recently. Um, so basically, yeah, dropping the ball from Persic over onto the the back post in Richardson, which is how he scored two goals against Marseille. So I think a little bit of kind of confirmation there from Conte was like when that happened, it sort of, he obviously thought he'd made the right decision, but then when we persisted with it, you start to see the deficiencies that you have sort of in possession. So I can't, can't kind of emphasize enough how much we need Kulisevsky there. And even then at times this season, we, we still have struggled. And um, one other thing I would put that down to is the lack of availability of uh, Christian Romero. And we really rely on him to, to pass out and carry forward for us um, on that right-hand side. And when Damson Sanchez is there, as much as he's been a reliable defender for us this season, he, He's shit on the ball. Yeah, he's terrible. He's he's honestly terrible playing out. It's quite a bit of a false image when you look at his, his sort of um, FB ref sort of statistics for progressive actions because he does do these things because basically my theory around this is teams are happy to let him play out because they know he's bad at it. So they will press uh, Longley and Dyer and they will just... The pressing traps... Well, they just let... They let Damson Sanchez have the ball and then they will basically force him into playing a bad pass or something like that or the so, so like the progressive pass will connect and he'll get the points but you're not actually gaining anything yeah exactly I think I think that it's they're not very effective whereas Romero is a much more um, what's the word I'm looking for maybe like incisive passer and the passes he makes are much more impactful than Sanchez so I think you can get a bit of a sort of false idea of what Sanchez is doing by looking at those numbers can you tell us a bit more about Spurs out of possession sure now I think this is something that's um been a lot of discourse on sort of Twitter and things like that about I saw some Crabstat uh, tweets about kind of final third entries shots conceded and stuff like that and then there was some stats bomb Viz going around about the shot maps of Spurs conceded shots and the XG per shot I'm a little bit uh, uneasy with how much territory we give up um, at times in games but you can't look at the data and say that we've been giving up kind of high value chances because we have been very effective in funneling our like opposition attacks into sort of wider areas and um, Basically, not letting any shots off in the box. Basically, we've like it's like record low numbers for shots in the box versus like the amount of touches in the final third and all these kind of things. So it's very it is a quirk, and I think that to some extent it's maybe not sustainable at the rate it is now. But there's definitely more to it than oh, we're just getting lucky in terms of these shot like they're just gonna these touches are gonna turn to turn to goals eventually. I think that we do need to improve, but um, there's definitely something we're doing right in the off the ball kind of sense defensively. Um, we do a good job of shielding that back three, um, and then that back three is doing quite well at sort of dealing with the the crosses that end up coming from the attacks being funneled wide. So I think yeah, I think we're we are strong, um, and I mean I do I do you know, have a bit, have quite a lot of trust in us when we're in that kind of lower block, but it's not something I really want to see as a fan either. Though, so I mean it's it's a little bit of a, a bit conflicted on that to be honest. 
One of the most interesting tactical games we've seen in any Premier League match this season was when Spurs faced off against Chelsea. And there was a lot of praise going around for the way that Thomas Tuchel set up Chelsea to deal with Spurs specifically. And a lot of people were saying, well, Tuchel's got Conte's number and things along that note. So what exactly is it that Tuchel did? How did Tuchel set up Chelsea to nullify Spurs? I think my first thing I would say is Tuchel absolutely does have Conte's number. I think that it's it's been clear we played them Oh, well, we played them three or four times last season. I think they, they won every game. We uh, played them in the League Cup, two legs. They beat us in both legs. Played them this season and we drew two two. But I think territorially it was fair to say that Chelsea Chelsea had complete control of that game um, from a territorial point of view. Um, and I'll, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about how, how that happened. And something else we can tag in this um, in the description for the, for the pod is um, John McKenzie's thread from um, around the time of that game that's uh, John McKenzie from Tifo Football and he basically did a very detailed analysis of how how Thomas Tuchel um, stopped Spurs basically and it revolves around the out of possession approach they took so I'll start with um, kind of outlining how they went about that so Tuchel kind of implemented like a bit of a I don't know, I wouldn't call it a mid-block, but it was not high press. So they, what would happen is um, they would allow Spurs to play out to to the three centre-backs um, right really in the really deep areas. Um, and what they would do is um, they would let them kind of step forward a little bit and then once they kind of stepped out of their own third, they would um, really, really tightly press them. And meanwhile, they kind of implemented like a sort of a man-marking structure across the pitch. It was zonal at times, but I don't want to go into too much detail about that because it would just get complicated. But... Um, basically the front three were t- really tightly marked by um, the Chelsea back three so you had Son, Kane and um, it would have been Kulsevsky in that game um, all really tightly marked by Chelsea's back three and this meant that um, it's a risky it's a risky game to play because as we saw in the last North London derby last season um, I think it was holding that it was really tight to Son um, gets too tight gets sent off game flips the game so it is a risky risky tactic but Chelsea executed it to perfection so you'd have the front three really tightly marked and this meant that the back three would step out with the ball and quite often what they want to do is they want to bait the opposition in and they want to create space um, in the middle and final thirds for to attack, basically. Um, but Chelsea weren't being drawn in, so they were quite resolute in their shape and it basically meant that when you'd have Dyer with lots of time but the midfield options were all man-marked they kind of, and the wing-backs were, were one-to-one as well, so they, they, they had no passing options. So what they often do in that situation is they'll go long into the front three and they'll look for a kind of I kind of uh, they'll knock the ball back and sort of they'll try and turn and attack the space behind but uh, you'd have like Son would drop him but Reese James would be right in behind him as the right centre back and um, that's also I guess you the, the risk reward there Reese James is a really quick player so against Son you can kind of afford to do that because he knows that he can somewhat keep up with him um, so yeah they basically nullified the passing options by really tight man marking especially if the front three so you'd have Son Kane and Kulisewski who basically couldn't really get into the game so Spurs were ended up going long and then when they were going long they were losing the aerial battles to the centre back. So quite a few times where they would go long into Kane, Thiago Silva would rise above Kane and, and win the header. So I think that's um a key part of it. Um it was also another big part of it was we had a the, the two in midfield with um I think it was Hoyberg and Bentanker and Chelsea went for a three, so they dropped Mason Mount out of the regular front three that they'd play, or the two one they would play, into a midfield three, and it basically meant that he had a spare man constantly and Mason Mount was able to pick the ball up. What that meant is that um, Christian Romero had to charge out of defence and 
shut down uh, Mason Mount constantly, which was dragging them out of shape and giving Chelsea opportunities to to, to exploit that space. So I think that um, being outnumbered in midfield was a, a big part of in possession how they were how they were um, dominating Spurs and um, the out of possession, the the tight marking um, and the not being baited into the high press was was a large part of out of possession how the the build up phase was nullified. So I think that's about is the best I can give for you there. <laughs> That was pretty yeah, great. But thanks. That, that's that's really interesting. Uh, and like as you were saying that, I was thinking right that there's bits of this, bits of what Tuchel did with Chelsea that I can see happening with us, and there's bits that I can definitely 100% never see happening ever. Uh, uh, the latter, I you, you said that Tuchel they sat off and didn't really get baited into the high press. I don't think there's any way Arteta sits off Spurs. We have been high pressing all I'm season. I'm not sure that's true. He's gonna... I'm not sure that's I, true. Really? Well, I think go, go back to the first ten minutes of the United game. We weren't pushing them high. There is a potential that we go we press high, but I think if we if we're not comfortable with that, I do, I do expect Arteta to kind of let that play come kind of come out and you know try handle the outlets that it's trying to get to. It's, it's a difficult one because I'm, I'm I'm saying that they they didn't press high as such, but they were very intense in their press. It was like they were still they were still very much pressing us, but it was that they weren't being baited into that very first phase. So the first pass out from the goalkeeper, they were allowing that to happen. They were letting Dyer and Romero step out of their own box, and then it was as soon as they were like that next passing option, that's what was being closed down really intensely, and it threw off the automatisms. And I think I didn't mention them as much as I actually planned to because. That is basically, if you want to beat Spurs, that is basically how you want to do it. Because if you throw off the automatisms, I should say, um, then the players basically don't know what to do because it's so drilled. It's so, everything's so micromanaged that this is how we play football. When that plan is, is like found out, for example, it's so hard for them to on to to think in independently at that moment because that's just not what they do. That's not that's not how Conte's teams play. So, the basically as Alex said again, the whole point of it is it's meant to be that yeah, you know what we're going to do, but we're just so slick and we're so well trained in it that you're not going to stop it. So, I think that that's basically my 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 point on it is that yeah, you can press intensely as well was my point. It was it wasn't that Chelsea sat off like deep. It was just that it wasn't that first pass. Uh, but yeah, when you, when you explain it like that, yeah, I can see us doing that. I, I, I can see us letting you play out to the centre-backs and then being really intense, like switching it on straight away. Uh, the second part, well, the second part to what I want to say, I think that we will absolutely overrun you in midfield, uh, like 100%, like with the three that we've got in there already. But then if we play Zinchenko, which might happen, might not, we're going to discuss that later, uh, but if we play Zinchenko and he's sitting inside, uh, then I can see you getting overrun even more than you did in the Chelsea game. Yeah, I mean there'll be different things that come up then if we like pull Zinchenko in. But I mean like they were getting you guys were getting overrun by Leicester, by Leicester's midfield until you kind of like adapted to it, which would be interesting to see if you kind of bring like Basuma in. I'm not sure if you bring Kulusevski into midfield potentially or make him closer. I don't know if you guys are going to play a 3-5-2. Um, it's something I thought you guys would have moved to by now. If we were to switch to a midfield three, which I don't think we will, because we've just not played it that much. And also, it's a little bit, our, our midfield three options are a bit, a bit samey, um, unless we were to do the Kulisevsky experiment, which I would love, but I just don't think it's going to be the Arsenal game that you do that in. I think he does that in a, a different game. If we were ever going to do that, I reckon it would be 
bringing Basuma in, it being Basuma, Hoiberg, Bentancur, and that would be like a much more solid midfield if you like. The the upside to that is you're matching the three on the three, so you'd have, you're matching uh, Odegaard to Basuma, for example, maybe, um, rather than maybe having someone like Odegaard kind of in, or Odegaard or Xhaka being free, which is a bit of a worry um, from a Spurs point of view. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I really, I'm actually quite unsure how this plays out tactically. Um, and my my kind of suspicion is that you guys will dominate massively um, territorially on the ball. You will, it will be half time probably. Like oh, Spurs have been terrible. They've been nowhere in it. But at the back of my mind, I also know that it takes it takes a split second for for one of those transitions or one of those kind of. Uh, full transition situations that we like to create playing out to to release Son or Kulusevski or Kane and then we have a few of the best forwards in, in, in Europe to be bearing down on the goal that's the that's the thing with Spurs you just don't know when we can strike because it's just the pure the quality and the understanding in those transitional situations of where, where your teammates are even Kulusevski he's like got a, a fantastic relationship in this short amount of time with Son and Kane you could play a brilliant game tactically Arsenal could play a brilliant game and it'd be undone in a, a moment. Equally, Arsenal could go 2-0 up in the first half because we're just being far too passive and we're not, and we're being outrun in midfield. That's a major worry for me, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like, it's, it's a funny one because you guys are actually, you guys are both that individual player quality just to make things happen. Like, Kane can do some crazy things. Son can score from anywhere. Kulisevsky has incredible, like, Kulisevsky's decision-making and delivery as a combination is just brilliant, especially for someone so young, that you can turn a game on its head and then add to that, like, your set-piece threat means that, like, even if we were, like, 2-0 up at 80 minutes um, and you guys struggling to break us down through, from a structural sense, we still can't rule you guys out. Okay, so we're going to leave that point there, but not really, because we have been asking you for your questions on Twitter, and some of them are along very similar lines to what we've been talking about. So we'll be talking about stuff that's very similar, but not quite what we've been talking about after this five-second jazzy interlude. Okay, so we're back. Hope you enjoyed the uh, jazzy interlude. We certainly enjoyed uh, sitting around on a Zoom call for like a couple of minutes and chatting about things that weren't podcast. Um, we are going to now answer some questions that you asked on Twitter. Uh, we asked for your questions about the North London Derby to know exactly what you wanted us to talk about, and you told us, uh, and we're going to answer them. Uh, one of those questions uh, was from Owen, and he said, How do you feel about the conflict between playing pragmatically and playing to our principles in the North London derby? I think what we know suggests that there won't be much of a compromise, but it is important to find that balance against the best attacking counter-attacking side in the league. Uh, and we've kind of touched on this question uh, already in terms of talking about what Tuchel did and how we might learn things from that, uh, but... I know, Alex, in particular, you want to expand on it a little bit more. What it comes down to for me is, like, I guess what we mean by, like, what our principles are. Because I think Arteta has shown over, like, his time as coach that, um, you know, that he is willing to change according to to the opposition manager. Maybe this was something that was more, like typical of, of early Arteta and then recently because he's been trying to implement a style of play and I think obviously like one of the things we're seeing through is now we're more consistently a high pressing side whereas beforehand it was it was a lot more, a lot more situational on a game-to-game basis about like when we started the press and like 
how intense we were um, versus like being a mid block and, and trying to almost push people wide and then win back from there, push teams wide. But I mean, yeah, I don't think we have like a principled play- way of playing like maybe like Bielsa does out of possession, right? I think there are, there are core principles there and we want to be able to be good at counter-pressing and shit like that. But I think we will be, I would hope at least, I think Arteta will recognize maybe it's better to sit off let them kind of do that deep play until the opposition half and then or just before the opposition half our own half and then kind of disrupt them so i think yeah i don't think there's that arteta necessarily feels that there's this conflict at least out of possession possession which i feel is more important um in terms of how we face them because i think we will play to our principles in possession we're actually relatively well the way we play is well set up in terms of doing damage to them when we're in possession. So that would probably be my answer. Yeah, I think I do actually want to touch on that because I think um, what you're talking about there with playing pragmatically out of possession is more of like a thing. Uh, like that's quite an interesting idea. Like we we do normally think of out like when we think of playing pragmatically, we think of counterattacking football, defensive football, out of possession stuff. And we don't really think about what playing pragmatically means in terms of an in-possession sense. So, Reese, I'd be interested to know what you think it would look like to play in-possession to Spurs' weaknesses, if that makes sense. I think midfield overloads are probably the the, the biggest thing, because exploiting, like we spoke earlier about the, mid, the two in midfield... Um, getting space between the lines for someone like Mason Mount or in Arsenal's case maybe someone like Odegaard um, I think that's a good way to kind of I say break us down but I mean as much as we have had unconvincing performances we haven't we haven't racked up like high amounts of like expected goals against in any games really I mean there, not, I say that there may be a couple where we have but um, in the most part we haven't been conceding loads of chances but I would say for, from a control point of view um it is that outnumber in our midfield, getting people in the, on the getting getting your sort of midfielders in the pockets on the ball, um, and then making our defenders have to think right. Do we need to do we need to step out? Do we need to step out, take a risk, leave that space behind us? That then you know with a good a team like Arsenal who are, who are strong on the ball, um, could you know work work around us and like and exploit that space. So I think yeah, the the midfield overloads are probably a big way of exerting control over over Spurs. Whether you can kind of turn that into shots in the box is the difficult bit, and I think that is generally what we're very good at. But it's a little bit, it's a little bit, it's not the best to watch at times. But it, is, it seems to be quite effective so far. Yeah, I think I think that's like the problem with you guys is that I'm more scared of like well, I wouldn't say I'm scared of you guys structurally in possession nearly as much as like out of possession how you guys can defend. What I'm scared of most is obviously just Son scoring from thirty yards or like you guys getting some like annoying corner like routine goal but I think breaking guys down is going to be very very tough I I do think this is the best we've been our team has been suited to doing that in years with with the way that we can kind of control and pick teams apart feels very pep like right um so yeah that's something I'm looking forward to I wonder like how aggressive we can try actually being like because what we aren't is we're not particularly aggressive in getting behind you guys um or getting behind teams teams that we play but yeah, I wonder how aggressive we'll kind of be that, like coming out of the second phase, just trying to get those early balls in 
um, to guys like Gabriel Suso or Martinelli, who could who will be interested to see how he kind of like handles this game. I've got one thing I was thinking there as you spoke about it. Um, if we do kind of successfully close the gaps in and around the box, um, and like in between the lines, there's not too much space for you. If it comes to a game, if it, the game comes to the stage where we are funneling you out wide, how how do you feel about your sort of obviously in the early days of Arteta, there was a lot of chat about crossing and all these kind of things, and like how Arteta had said things about like the amount of crosses you were putting in, blah 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 blah. <laughs> do you think that how do you think your games evolve from then? Um. It's not the same sort of like crossing that we w- that we did in earlier Arteta day, which was like Kieran Tierney bombing like forty in a match, right? Um, but but it's still it's sort of crossing. Where we we use a lot of like Jaka playing direct balls in from like the half space, not nearly coming into the half space, playing those balls. Odegaard probably should do more, but we have Fabio Vieira, who I think is also going to be very good at kind of playing those balls in. Um, and it does put teams under pressure because. The areas that where we play those balls from are a little bit more central. So then as soon as the team gets it back, we can counter-press really effectively. So I think we have quite a good structure around where we play those balls. Um, so it's about whether you allow us to. And I think I think it depends. Like if we pin your centre-backs back a little bit, then your midfield coverage, there's a lot that you guys have to cover. Obviously, Benson Kerr can run for days. Even, even your wing-backs can come a lot. I think Emerson's... He, he seems like a very athletic player. The way I've watched him, like he can cover a lot of ground. Hoiberg, a little bit less so, but still covers a lot of ground, right? So I think that would be your issue more because we're not really trying to play those from like, you know, this is wanky to say, but like zone 16 and zone 18. You know what I mean? Like the ones on either side of the box, we're kind of trying to play them from like the half spaces of zone 13 and 15, a little bit more. To translate that out of nerd talk, Slightly. <laughs> uh, we're not trying to play like high crosses by the byline. We're a little bit further back, like ahead of the 18 yard box playing in. We're not getting right down, yeah. chalk on the boots kind of thing. So, so that's, that's sort of like, that's sort of what we do. Whether we can handle that, like finding guys, because I think that's still something we need to figure out um, is we don't overload the box as much as maybe I think we could or should when we play those balls on. And I think it's because we know that we can quickly win the ball back when it comes. So even though it's slightly lower chance, we can. it's something we can repeat a lot once we've pegged a team in. So I think that's what we would look to do. Um, otherwise, it's kind of like trying to play soccer, like um, just that run when you split it but down the channel into the box. Um, it's something we look to do with soccer a lot. So yeah. On a similar lines, uh, Shabab asks, how do you think Arteta will try and shut down the Spurs front three? Uh, and Reese, you said that when Tuchel did this, because obviously this is the best example we've got of how to do it, um, they played three centre-backs and stuck their three centre-backs on Spurs' three attacking players, and that pretty much did the job. In, in a way, we could do that, like with especially with the fact that we've been playing... Ben White a lot at right back. We've got three centre backs on the pitch. It's not out of the realms of possibility that we do that. Uh, but also Ben White isn't Reese James, and so uh, it'll be. It's asking a lot of him to ask him to stick to Son like glue for ninety minutes. He probably doesn't quite have the athleticism to put it off. Um, Alex probably has smarter thoughts than me on how we can do this. Uh, I have. I don't have an answer here. I'm not smart enough for that. Um... You know, being smarter than Alex Towers, it's a low bar. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Leave off. But, but I think 
what I'm interested in is like Son really likes to attack that last line. Um, and I think that's what he will do. And you know, he'll he'll kind of try to get in behind Ben White. And Ben White's not slow, but he's not like rapid either. So I think he can be exploitable. Where you'd want Ben White is actually kind of dealing with issues a little bit closer. Like I think he could close Son down really well. Something I've realized over the last couple months of with Ben White is his anticipation of like when teams are when players are gonna take shots or like even the flight of the ball is really, really good. Um, but that's why I was wondering if like Tommy's not a better matchup because Tommy's very physically dominant in the air, so he can cut those things out. Um, and he's also very quick um, and very good in 1v1 situations. So I think he could deal with um, with Son. Having said that, I'm still... And maybe this is just because I'm like... Because it's been working, so maybe it's not a very like... Maybe it's not the smartest way to look at things, but I, I'm still inclined to play Ben White, especially because of what we can kind of do in possession with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, ultimately it is different. Um, and I think also having like, if they play Rikarlison on, or, 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 or Kulisevsky, I think he'll give Gabriel more problems than, who did they play? They played um, Kuyabai at, at left back, at left center back in your game, right? So I think we're a little bit, we're worse set up to handle them in like a man-marking role. Um, and whether that leads to changes from Arteta, we'll see. I think he just won't play it the same way that Tuchel did. Um, and he'll try to figure something else out. But yeah. It, dep- it depends how you're talking about your 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 structure. Like I think you're up against Zinchenko slash Gabriel. Is that basically the, like that yeah. those areas? So it's interesting one because I think when you when you get tight to Kula, he's really good at spinning you and 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 then attacking the space behind you. That's like it's like trademark. Like recently, it's just been like kind of getting the defender close, and then he just kind of he's a bit ungainly, but like he, he he's so good at like he looks like he does. He's not going to control the ball, but then he does, and he will go around you or spin you. Um, that'll be an interesting one with how aggressive you are with him because you don't want to do that and then let him attack that kind of like wide area where he quite often another thing with Kula is he quite often well he'll attack that area then he'll get right to the byline and he just kind of stands up his man on the byline and like um, it's a really threatening like sort of position to be in because you don't know he can beat you but then also his final ball so good so it kind of puts a defender in an awkward situation where you don't want to step forward into him and let him go by you but if you step off too much you give him time to pick that pick that pass so it's kind of the, the double threat so um, so yeah that that's that'll be an interesting matchup on that side and that's probably where the kind of Kieran Tierney debate comes like Kieran Tierney might be a bit better defensively but you're getting so much in possession from Zinchenko that it, I guess I guess it's just a, a, a risk reward isn't it it's like how much do you lean on your in possession approach to the game versus dealing with the potential threat of the front three so that's actually a question though so we made it we may as well may as well touch on it Henry asked if we start Tierney or Zinchenko while we're talking about it uh, Alex do we start Tierney or Zinchenko I think I, I kind of answered. I re- I want Sinchenko to start. Um, I think it's an interesting debate, like between the two of them. But I guess, yeah, for Sinchenko, I think what we can do in possession with Sinchenko, and I'm I'm kind of focused on like trying to break you guys down. I think, yeah, I think just having Sinchenko there means like the rotations we can pull you guys out a little bit more and create those like manufacture those like pockets of space to actually do damage because I think. Yeah, well, what's kind of clear is that Spurs is really, really good. Your block is really good. Like, that's the one thing that stood out to me. I won't lie. I'm less impressed with you guys this season from what I've watched. 
compared to last season, but all of that pretty much has to do with how you guys are playing in possession. Um, out of possession, I still think you guys are really, really good. Um, once you're in that set block, right? So I would want Sinchenko there that we can kind of play that patient, like just trying to pull pull like the parts apart until we can kind of make that space. Whereas I think with Tierney, he's not as smooth at quickly rotating things. He's not as comfortable in the different positions, obviously inverting. Um, he's got a good, he's got a good like um, cross in better than Sinchenko, but I, I don't think that's the way, that's our route into the game. So I think we're going to really struggle to break Spurs down with Tierney compared to Zinchenko. Obviously, there is the debate going back, but I'll I'll handle I'll hand over to Reese before we get there. Another point about that is that um, Tierney obviously in the Scotland game came off with a head knock, and I don't know what condition he's in if he's if he's absolutely fit. I mean, I think he probably is okay, but I don't know if he's had if he actually got a concussion or something like that. If he um what how bad it was, so I guess it could it might not even be a debate for Arteta if if he's not fully up to speed with like with things after that that injury because he dropped he dropped out the Scotland squad so the other part of the question that Henry asks is if we don't start Tierney in this game right then what games will be better off with him over Zinchenko and before you answer that I do just quickly want to say that we answered this in a bit more detail uh, in our second episode so go back and listen to episode two of the pod if you want to hear us talk about this for like five ten minutes we're only going to answer it quite quickly here yeah, I think I think it's kind of like a like this dichotomy that like Arsenal fans have made. It's like big games as a Tierney because obviously Zinchenko is not the same um, defensively, and especially when we're in a block, I think Gabriel and Tierney is a really solid combination in a block. Whereas Tierney and Gabriel is a lot less solid because um, Gabriel's very very good at defending like that close to goal, and Tierney's very good at defending wide spaces, right? And can come in close as well. Tierney's just a really good defender, I think. Um, where Zinchenko is a little bit more rash um, and just a little bit easier to bypass. But I think it's like it's become this dichotomy that like, okay, Zinchenko in smaller games, KT in big games, where I don't really think it is that because I do think the structure is so good now we can play Zinchenko in bigger games. What I think though is like, you, you get these sort of games maybe against like maybe middling opponents that I would I would start KT over where we can kind of bank on the quality that we have without that like fluidity of rotations that we are able to achieve in that in possession stuff where we still have enough quality to break a team down um, but especially those counter-attacking teams I'd want Kieran Tierney because you don't want to like let's say against I don't know Wolves probably not a great example but like them hitting us on the break um, and then they're 1-0 up even though we're the better team you kind of want Tierney to like minimize the 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 chance of that happening and then if we still need to break them out down 60 minutes in or so, that's when we can bring Zinchenko in. It's like, it's a nice problem to have because I really rate Tierney as a player. Um, but obviously they're very different players. So, yeah. And the last question that we had that's, that shall we say, uh, related to the game that we're going to answer. We're going to answer more later, but they are less related. Uh, came from uh, Twitter user Asna Maz, and he asked, In your opinion, what can Arsenal do to improve in away games versus the Big Six? If you were to make an educated guess, which of, which of the ones that we lost last season do you see us winning this season? Uh, so I went ahead and I did a little bit of digging into the numbers for this one. I had a look at the old FB ref and try to figure out exactly how we did against the big six uh and the answer is not great 
so in general, uh, we won 57.9% of our games in the 2021-22 season, uh, uh, but we only won three of ten games against the Big Six, losing the other seven. So our record against the Big Six, especially last season, not great. Uh, goal difference of minus 17 in ten games, not great at all. Reese has things to say about this before we get on to Alex. Yeah, just my memory's failing me, Alex. Could you remind me of the score in the North London Derby at the end of last season? I was just forgotten the outcome of that game. Uh, the, the result may or may not have been uh, 3-0 to Spurs. Uh, and actually, that is a good one to touch on because we were uh, bad. Uh, we got an XG of a whole 0.4 uh, and conceded 3.1, according to FBRF. The listeners don't need to hear this. That's in the past, Alex. But no, I think, I think, like, looking at it, um, there are some sort of qualifiers you can put forward. Um, for example, like, I think when we played Chelsea and, and City right at the beginning of the season, we were obviously a mess. Um, don't think it was completely, like, a good way of, of like, showing the game. And I think if you look at City, where we lost that two, that 2-1 two game, I think it was at home. I think we were, we were a really good team that day. Um... And yeah, then there's like the United game where we lost away, like we always do, the season included. So, which was like, if I remember correctly, it was some kind of like a crumble at one point. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think they're qualifiers, but ultimately like we weren't that good. Um, and what we can do to improve, I, I think I have such a cop-out answer for Arsenal Maz here, but I think the thing is is that I think we have a better team now and we will improve and there's a better structure and the players are more familiar with the structure like last season I don't think our squad matched up with the other big teams I think we were probably the weakest mm, yeah probably the weakest of the big six um, but now both with, with signings that are A add quality and B fit with um with what Arteta wants us to do, but then also just the development of guys like Martinelli, Saka, Nketia, um even Ben White over the last year has gone from a good signing to like a, a good player when we signed him to a really good player. Uh, that I think we are we're a much better team in terms of quality. I think we will win, we, and we're much more settled. So I think we'll we'll pick up more than the nine points that we did from ten games last season. But yeah, in terms of like which games do I see us winning, it'll be interesting to say. I think hopefully we start off with this one versus Spurs. Um, that would be nice. But yeah, I mean, even Liverpool look a little bit more gettable this season. City will be interesting to see because we really gave them like a tough test when we played them. But there's still a team that I think would be ahead of, would be, I wouldn't expect us to get a point against City. I would hope for it, but I, I wouldn't be sad with not from six possible points. Yeah, Reese wants to speak about our underperformance. Go for it. It wasn't even too fair. I was just gonna say that so much of so much of this comes down to the circumstances when the game falls. Like if say I don't know when your fixtures are, but just like say you're in the Europa League semi final and you're you have a massive game falling between the two semifinals, it, like so much of it comes down to who's available. Like like do you have, do you need to rest someone for say you lose the first leg and like you're going into the second leg and you need you're playing Liver I don't know who you're playing, but Liverpool in between. Like it's hard to say these things like like without knowing the context that will be fall around them but who like who will be fit in these things like you you didn't really make the additions I expected you to make towards the end of the transfer window well these things come to bite you later in the season when when like you know fixtures stack up and these things because obviously right now this Arsenal team at full strength is really impressive it's whether that holds up 
across this like the, the course of the season. And I'm not saying it won't, but it's just like I, I don't I don't think this level you've been at so far will be the level you're at for the full season. Because I just think that circumstances will will dictate that you 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 have lesser quality of players available. You maybe have like you know like fixture build up and these kind of things. So it's it's definitely so much context necessary there. Yeah, I mean, in terms of those circumstances, uh, I can enlighten you a little bit there. Our next four games are um, in the Premier League are this one against Spurs at home, then Liverpool at home, then Leeds away, then Man City at home. Before we break up for the World Cup on November 12th, we will be playing City at home, Liverpool at home, Spurs at home, and Chelsea away. So, And that's in like a month and a bit. Yeah, but I mean, overall, I agree with... I, I think also like you can look at the congestion of that it's not just about about the players available but the the training um and the time that we have to train obviously we had a lot more time to prepare for games last season and big games included because we weren't in europe um but yeah it's something i mean it's it's part of what like adds into why i'm a bit more confident of us this game because i think if you have time to prepare against the conte side it really helps your chances a lot and we've had thanks to Her Majesty, quite a long period to, to prepare. Um, but but yeah, I mean, overall, I, I, I agree with Reese. I think it does depend on who we had. And I think a point like that really sit, hits that home is I did a calculation last time when we had at least three of our starting back four last season, we conceded like half a goal a game or something like that. And then when we had only two or less than three or out of four so two out of four generally um in the in the remaining games we conceded two goals a game so so it really does show like also you know specific targets of how re- reliant he is on the guys that we had last season thankfully there's a bit more quality now like like i love nuno tavares in terms of what he can offer in the future but he, he was a hazard at left back for us and I think Zinchenko's a bit safer, especially building out deeper where and just being more responsible in terms of getting back to position, even if he isn't a great defender, which were two things that Nuno wasn't. Yeah, like Nuno Tavares is a really fun footballer, and part of the things that make him fun is that he's bad at defending. <laughs> he can be, yeah, the best footballer and the worst footballer on the pitch at the same time. Fun guy. <laughs> uh, and another thing before we end off, like the fact that we lost seven of ten. Last time, last year, even though we were bad, that's not going to happen this year. Like, we will have at least a couple games that we draw against the Big Six. I'd be very surprised if we go zero draws for ten again. Um, (laughs) So, like, I I don't think... I think even from there, we can expect some of our losses to turn to draws this season. Yeah, I think it's too too early to say, like, whether we're going to be, like, more pragmatic or not. Like, Arteta's going to make big changes... I know it sounds weird because we're in like our now our, our fourth season with him. He's been with us for almost three full seasons. Um, but yeah, I think I think we'll just have to see. To be honest, it feels like we're finally where we want to be for the project. So now I'm interested to see how we handle these big games. Yeah, that's the thing with Arteta. Is it's like it feels like the first two and a half years were two and a half years of setup, and now we're actually where we want to be. So like, even though we've been with Arteta for a while. That doesn't necessarily mean we know how he's going to approach these games, because now, if, if anything, now we're going to learn how he actually wants to approach these games. On that note, shall we get to the 
the questions. The real questions. Yes, we should. The ones uh, everyone so wanted to before know. Before we do that, we're going to have another quick break and a jazzy interlude. Uh, but then when we come back, we are going to answer the other questions that you asked. Because not all of the questions that we received when we asked on Twitter for questions, believe it or not, were actually relevant to the football game. Uh, and being gracious podcast hosts that we are, we're going to bring back the non-Arsenal chat for the first time since I think episode two. Uh, and actually answer some of the questions that you asked. So come back in just a second for that. Right, I hope you enjoyed our final jazzy interlude of the day. Um, What we're going to do now is we've got the other questions that you asked, uh, because you asked some really stupid questions that we're now going to answer. Um, Each of us have picked one question, Uh, And I think what we're going to do is we will all answer the one question that we've each picked. Okay. Uh, So, Reese, as our ever so gracious guest, you may start. What was the question that you picked? (laughs) Um, I had so much choice here. It was, you know, it was a really tough decision. So sorry for anyone that um, I left out. But um, I chose Malt's question, (laughs) which... (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I chose it because I answered it on Twitter and then I deleted my answer because I got told to save it for the pod so this is very serious stuff um, so who sits in the front seat of your car your mum or your wife I mean in the future don't have a wife but <laughs> um, um, I mean I've got to say it's your mum surely I mean especially if you're looking forward like if your mum's getting older and stuff I mean you can't be shoving your mum in the back seat I mean front seats are meant for older people aren't they they're easier to get in and out Surely. Are they? Yeah, you can't be <laughs> papping your mum in the back. <laughs> uh, I, I think I, I think about this one along along similar lines. Like, if I think back to times when my parents and my grandparents and I have been bundled all into the same car, it would normally be my nan in the front seat uh, due to mainly mobility issues, and then my mum would be in the back. There we go. Uh, alongside the kids... Uh, so yeah, I think your wife, your uh, wife Alex. would surely understand as well. Like you're not, you're not gonna, yeah. you're not gonna have beef over sitting in the like. Yeah, yeah, my mum's sitting in the front yeah. seat. That's like, been an argument later. You've on. got daggers in the back, burning yeah. a hole in the uh, headrest, yeah. you know, from the eyes. Uh, Alex, how 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 would you answer this incredibly important question? This is very theoretical for me because I definitely do not have a wife. Um, <laughs> Or a mother, so so for me, <laughs> I have neither mom nor wife. So for me, um, I think when I get married someday, God willing, um, it'll basically be like Bayern in the Bundesliga. It's gonna be a one, like a a one horse race. Yeah. So congrats to my future wife. Um, she will be able to sit in the front seat with me, and there's totally not like misogynistic, outdated, you know, future world that we'll have. Anyway. Um, uh, on to <laughs> Alex Collings' question, because I'm not going to answer mine yet. I'm going to leave mine to last. Uh, so, Alex, what was the question that you picked out? So this is from Kieran. Um, absolutely not a friend of the pod. Um, <laughs> but he asks, Sworn enemy of the pod, Sworn Kieran. <laughs> enemy of the pod, who may be on someday. Um, are there more eyes or legs in the world? And this one really had me thinking. I don't know... Should I answer first? Or, oh, yeah, because it's like a doors versus wheels thing, isn't it? I was on the wrong side of history for the doors versus wheels one. I remember being the wheels guy. Um, alongside Kieran, actually, that was that was our alliance. But I'm going to say I think there are more eyes in the world. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I, I think... Oh, I don't... 
can I, I think me... legs. Because I, 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 I think, think there are more insects in the world that have more legs than eyes. Oh, but what about fish? Fish have no legs. Fish do have no legs. And oh. fish, the sea is really, really deep. Yeah, so, there are lots of fish. Can I interject? There, there, there are... Oh, go on, It's definitely <laughs> eyes. Definitely. Yeah. Aha, there we yeah, go. Yeah, because think how big the ocean is. The ocean covers most of the world's landmass, and then the ocean's deep, yeah. full of fish, who a lot of them have... Well, none of them have legs. I mean, it's not as full of fish anymore. We are um, absolutely true. fucking that. True, but... So, so is the... They don't have legs, most of them, that it's eyes at the moment, but that's rapidly decreasing? The yeah. other question is, do these things have to be alive? Like, do chair legs count as <laughs> legs? Oh... Ooh. And what about the eye of a needle? Like, <laughs> no, oh my that's god, theoretical. Nothing more than that. Yeah, we, we, let's let's dig into the deeper philosophy. Uh, if you would like um, a, if you would like a full hour long podcast on this, uh, DM at Pure Fitball on Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> and it won't be me answering it. Um, yeah, I think I think I'm gonna I'm gonna settle for eyes. Yeah, so, I, I think eyes wins the podcast vote two to one. Unfortunately, I am outvoted there. Uh, and last but not least, my question is the most Arsenal-related one. I picked Emilio Sanchez's question, which was, would you rather fight one Per Matsaka or two Santi Cazorla's? And I kind of... My, my default is to cop out of this. I don't want to fight either of them. They're lovely guys. I don't know. I don't want to fight them either. Either of them. Fight them. I'll fight them. I have, I, I, I have, I have a strong answer. I think I'd rather fight one Per Matsaka. Okay. Because, Go on. I agree. Well... Santi is ambipedal, so that's two strong legs already in one <laughs> Santi versus yeah. versus Per Matasak, who's only got one strong foot. Yeah, and also and he's like six, six two of them, and so then 41. Like, like, I think I could just legs. rugby tackle Per Matasak and I'd win. Yeah. And they called him the BFG. Like, he he looks too... Actually, Santi also looks pretty friendly. Um, no, I think I'd, I'd rather fight one Per Matasak than... I think we'd, I'd get kicked to shit versus two Santis. Uh, now, Reese, let me just spursify this question for you. Um, would you rather fight ten Harry Winkses or one Eric Lamella? Oh, ten Harry Winks. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't know who's, who'd be the worst to fight, because I'm thinking of the like, Spurs players of, like, Lamella and Romero are probably the two that are, like, the most psycho. Yeah. I don't know who I'd rather fight out of those two. Um, yeah. Uh, they, 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 they're, like... I, I don't think don't think I've voiced this opinion on the pod before. Like I, I love Eric Lamella. Like I love him. I love him so much. He's such a shit house. He's amazing. I love shit house in football, and honestly, it's so good having him on your team. I mean, he's not fit very often, but yeah. like, see Romero. It's like <laughs> honestly, like having a shit house in your team is so good. Or Richarlison too. So like having Richarlison and Romero on the same team is just is excellent. <laughs> Especially for games like the weekend. Yeah, we we we. we... I, I wish Lucas Torreira worked out so that we could have a shithouse of our own, but unfortunately it didn't. Arsenal oh, are too cuddly for shithouses, though. You're, like, you're too worried about it, and you're uh, too worried about everyone thinking you're such a nice little football team that play lovely football. And then you, 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 we are a nice little oh, football yeah. team that play lovely football. Yeah, there we go. But we, I think <laughs> you asked a question, actually. You said who'd win a Royal Rumble. I'm, I'm convinced Gabriel would. I'm, I know we have three of them. I I'm think not, Eric Dyer wins one. it. He's an, he's an absolute Neanderthal. Look at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but so, so is Gabriel to an extent. The, the problem is, I think that everyone that Romero comes up with is going to end up with one less eye at the end of it. So I don't <laughs> yeah, know. I, I don't know. I think I think Gabriel could take Romero. I think he might lose an eye for sure. Yeah. But like, <laughs> he'll come out with I a don't know. I, I have faith in Gabriel. I think 
He just seems like a really simple dude. I think if you asked him to wail down someone, he would. You know? Uh, alternatively, I think Oliver Skip might win because everyone will ignore him, and then everyone else is just kind of dead <laughs> around, and Ollie Skip's just kind of there because no one's touched him the entire thing. So he didn't seem as a threat. The first getting flung out Shame. is um, the wee guy, Fabio Vieira. He's getting absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> He's getting no he's chance. Getting <laughs> I think I actually think Romero will use Fabio. <laughs> you Vieira's. just throw him at someone. <laughs> yeah, buddy, yeah take him up by the legs, swing him like his golf club. He would just like smack him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then it wouldn't actually work because he's so light. You just kind of like you could just break in half. Fabi V, we love you. Uh, and on that incredibly violent note, I think it's probably about time we wrap up the podcast. Uh, Reese, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if people want to find you and your things, where can they find you? Sure. So you're probably best getting me on Twitter. So you can follow me at RT Jenky, and that's Jenky with a Y. Um, for podcast stuff, um, you'll find me um, on Pure Fitball, and um, that is a Pure Fitball with an E W at the end, like ball. Yeah, F I T B A W Fitball. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't run the Twitter account, but um, uh, yeah, that's where you'll find us posting our co- our podcast content mostly. Uh, Alex, you can find me at Alex Froco, um, F R C O at the end of it. Um, yeah, I'm there. Yeah. doing my thing yeah. thank you as always for being smarter than me uh, and you can find me on twitter at Alex Towels or the podcast at PotShotPod uh, any links uh, to visualizations of stuff that we can find will be in the description of this podcast uh, and of course thank you very much to James Blake for making the music for this pod you can find him at JW Blake on all good music platforms uh, and lastly thank you to you for listening in Uh, and sending in your questions. Uh, We will be back next week looking ahead to the Liverpool game. Oh God, the Liverpool game. Thanks very much.